When I joined the club three years ago, I went to Tottenham for the first time. Wow. I mean, it's, that's a cathedral of rugby, that is. What, what a stadium that is. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Yeah, welcome along to Wednesday Night Rugby. Richie McCormick here with you this evening and I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line as well by the Irish Times Rugby correspondent, Jerry Thorny. Jerry, good evening to you. Good evening, Richie. Jerry, you had a very thought-provoking piece and a piece that provoked plenty of reaction in the paper this week, essentially uh, calling for, at the very least anyway, a uh, discussion around the issue of alcohol within the Aviva Stadium because the uh, the issue of atmosphere or lack thereof during the course of the Six Nations is reared its head, particularly on the back of the uh, the Scotland game a couple of weeks ago. As your piece opened with the other day, saying last Saturday week, an 80 year old rugby supporter was taken to his first game in the Aviva Stadium in several years. It had barely kicked off when he was first obliged to stand up for someone to walk past him or return to their seat, usually with the tray of pints. This constant flow of people became so tediously repetitive that he began to keep count by the time time the game had finished he reckoned he had stood up 73 times he won't be going back his story is not alone and his story is not a standalone one and it's one that has been repeated time and oft through the course of the Viva I guess going back over a decade now since it was reopened and remodeled and restyled and all that kind of thing this problem seems to only be snowballing though in the last uh, couple of years and particularly I guess since fans have come back in after after the well I'm going to say after the pandemic but after the pandemic uh, lockdowns and, and lockouts it's bad though isn't it? Yeah it is it, it, the, the column appears to have struck a chord with an awful lot of people who suffered the Aviv experience and are not greatly enamoured by it anymore it was, I was quite struck by like all the stories I wrote in that piece, Richie, were directly conveyed to me. That one in particular, but through direct conversation, others and through more conversations, whether text messages then or emails or whatever, they were all directly relayed to me. And I just thought, okay, I've touched a nerve here. I'm just going to give vent to them and see what happens. And I, I'm motivated not to be a killjoy. I don't want people to stop drinking. I mean, the, the headline of the piece said ban booze. I'm not saying we should ban all alcohol from the Aviva because, you know, I, I want, I mean, Good mates of mine would wonder why on earth Jerry Thorny would be doing something like that, <laughs> given known to like a pint occasionally himself. So I want people to enjoy themselves. But I've been to Crow Park and I drew in that experience a lot. I've been to a few big games in Crow Park, fortunate enough to get there. And it's kind of like theatre rules apply. You know, the bars are open beforehand, but as much drink as you want beforehand. Then they close so people get seated. Key, key difference. You're not allowed to bring alcohol into your seats. The stewards there will prevent you from doing so. So you sit down in your seats. You watch the first half, then you can go at half time, have another pint or two of your really quick drinker, chat about it with other people about the game, go back in, sit down in your seats and watch the half unfold and then the bars stay open afterwards. Um, I know there's a 21 year, I believe there's a 21 year agreement in place with the company Compass, which looks after all the catering and all the bars at every level in the Aviva Stadium. So I don't imagine there will be a bad booze anytime soon, least of all at the quote Guinness Six Nations. But if the theatre rules applied, I think it would go some way to alleviating the discomfort that an awful lot of supporters find just by this 80-year-old man's experience of constantly getting to their feet and back down again, up again for people going to the loo and coming back with trays of pints. It's just, and I've heard loads of anecdotal stories on the back of the piece, which, mm. I mean, my email box has been inundated with people who've just said, talk about fights in the, in the crowd, the beer being spilled on them, puddles of beer on the ground, people forgetting where their seats are, just a lack of interest in the match, just conversations going on and so on. And it just seems to me that there's a myriad of problems here, but 
you know, one of them, one of the ways of sort of making it a more enjoyable experience for a full house at the Aviva would be just you know, prevent people bringing trays of beer to their seats. On the flip side of that, there are the people who are um, indulging in, in going out and getting trays of points and, and, and coming back and going back to their seat. And they, they will say that that's all part of their experience of it and that there's, you know, probably as many people who enjoy that side of things uh, as there are the people who are currently filling your inbox and, and filling letters into the Times about this thing. But they're, they're, it's clearly an appetite for that kind of social occasion to be surrounding a Six Nations game. Um, yeah. It's, and, and, yeah. And, and, and it's, I guess, trying to appease everybody is, is never going to be easy in these kind of situations and trying to find the right balance, particularly when you've got an IRFU who are trying to wipe out a 10 million deficit from last last year, really. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And they, and people who, you know, drink throughout the game bring a lot of revenue to the Viva Stadium as well. And, you know, they their wishes have to be um, accommodated too. I suppose you could leave the bars open, but if you want to have a drink, then have a drink in the concourse because you're, you're affecting the enjoyment of the game for all those who are sitting in their seats and who aren't going out during the course of the match to buy trays of lager or whatever else, or Guinness, whatever else. You're affecting their experience. And an awful lot of people seem just not to be enjoying the experience anymore. I'm amazed how many emails I've received from people who are three-year, five-year, ten-year ticket holders who have not resumed their tickets. And I think the IRFU have got a real problem here, Richie, because if this continues, you might find empty seats in the future. Wales have had a very, very similar issue and brought in alcohol-free zones in the the ground. And there were 11,000 empty seats, mostly in those alcohol-free zones, for the Friday night game between um, Wales and France. Now, whether that would have been the case anyway, because it was a Friday night game, I don't know. There were another twelve or 13,000 empty seats as well when they played Italy as well. So, like, it's a big issue. But you compare and contrast the experience with football. There's, you know, in the Viva Stadium, like for the Belgian match, there was a cracking atmosphere. Speaking to people who've been at both Six Nations games and the Belgian game, it was much better for the football, even though there were still issues around people going back and forth and bringing drinks. By and large, more people stayed engaged in the actual match and cheered and roared and sang, which is something that the home crowd and the old, what was the old lands and road of Lanson seemingly forgotten now. Mm. I just want as well, a lot of other things to try and improve the atmosphere there. You know, a professional DJ, maybe look at the different music that's being played, emulate the Stade de France experience, whereby, you know, when you call out the names of the Irish players at start, you only call out their first names so that the crowd can roar their second names, just to engage the crowd more as it is, they're removed from it and are watching it as an experience, almost as if they're at home on TV. And therein lies the other rub. A lot of the genuine rugby fans have stopped going because they think they'll get, they enjoy it more from watching it at home with a group of friends or family, whatever else, because the analysis is improving all the time. The TV experience has been getting better all the time. And with that as well, I don't think the the atmosphere thing and the points thing is is even combined to football. Like I was, this is Wednesday at rugby, but I was obviously at the, the FAI Cup final back in November. And yeah. there is there is a similar issue at games like that, whereby it's more of a social occasion. The, the tickets weirdly are at the other end of the spectrum, so tickets would have been fairly cheap to get as big a crowd as possible in. But the knock on of that is that you've got people who aren't necessarily as invested in the game, and their way of counterbalancing not being invested in the game is to go out and get as many points on board as they can, and that means getting up and getting out. And I was, I'm not going to say it was 73 times up and down, but it was damn close to it uh, during the yeah. course of the, in in the West Stand. And similarly, like it seems that there's an engagement issue, um, and that can happen because rugby is a slightly more technical game. So if you've got a bunch of day trippers, as they're called in your piece, that are going to the game, they might find it hard to follow. The way around that to still enjoy being there is to get a bunch of points on board. Is it an engagement issue? And 
can you actually force those kinds of engagement aspects that you mentioned there, the, the, the call and response nature that they have in, at the Stade de France? Um, those kind of things are actually hard to, to get going. You need a kind of a history of fan culture and a history of those things happening for them to snowball and actually take on more of um, more of a meaning during an international game. Yes, I suppose you're right. And the more, ironically, the more successful a team becomes, the more it will attract a different demographic of um, day trippers, for want of a better word, or people who want to be seen at an occasion like that because the Irish team has become more successful. But it just seems ironic that this is the Irish rugby team that's probably playing the best brand of rugby of any Irish team ever, has scored the most number of tries it's ever scored in the Six Nations, that was trying to win a triple crown at home for the first time in 18 years, that still had a chance of winning the title. And, you know, with a 4.45 kickoff on Saturday and a glorious sunny day, I mean, talking to Joe Malloy in this show a couple of weeks back, he admitted to me that um, in the Virgin Media Studios, mm. he wasn't getting the right feed from the Aviva. It was so quiet coming through from the studio. Um, and, like... If you compare and contrast that, I don't. I can't be em, just emulate the Crow Park experience. Yes, you can have a drink. Yes, you can have as much drink as you want. But when the match is on, the match is on, and that's the centerpiece of the day. And it, it's not impaired for all the viewers who want to watch the game and are engaged in the game. And I do think that definitely, you know, a different, different musical set before and a different way of involving the crowd before and would certainly help with a professional DJ. I mean, I don't want to hear countdowns kick off ten, nine, eight, seven. Spare me that. I'm sick of hearing end, uh, stewards to end of match positions. It's like it prompts a stampede to the, to the exits when you hear that. Yeah. I don't hear any other ground. Um, I just think there's a lot more that could be done. I think looking at the way the tickets are now being dispersed and what and it seems from all the um, ev- not exact science, but it does seem that maybe on, on, as a result of the pandemic, Richie, that club clubs are giving their tickets away to the highest bidders and less and less tickets are going to genuine rugby fans, be it club supporters, club members and so forth. And this is why it's nothing like the old Lansdowne Road. And it's not that it can't you can't blame it on this on this on the stadium. You can't blame it entirely on the bars being open because last November for a Sunday afternoon game, the stadium rocked because the all blacks were in town and they had the hacker and that made everybody get to their seats you know plenty in plenty of time. I do know from speaking to players and coaches and so forth involved in the Irish team, there is a sense that the Irish crowd is much better when Ireland are underdogs. Irish Crowds don't do favouritism very well. Mm. And part of the problem with the three home games this year was that Ireland were seen as, you know, very strong favourites and expected to win. What way are the tickets uh, proportions? Like you mentioned, there's a certain amount obviously go to the clubs and then there's a lot more end up on, on Ticketmaster and they're not cheap, uh, to put it mildly. Like what no. way are they are they distributed in that respect? And is there a way that the RFU could possibly change that that would foster a better atmosphere within the stadium? it's a tough one because like the clubs have been hit really hard by the, the pandemic harder than any other sector in the game. The one way of generating money is to sell their tickets, you know, and I believe their allocation has been reduced. I don't know what it is. So therefore at a stroke, you're getting less um, club members going to matches. Um, so that, that is a problem. One of the many tiers to this deck subject that the RFU will have to address. And this is the time to address it, Richie because we're now looking at the next home games the Aviva Stadium being next November. So there's a lot that can be done between now and then. And it's not a unique, an issue unique to Irish rugby. It's very much a, an issue that's affected Welsh rugby as well, as we mentioned earlier, with the Principality Stadium. But do you know that in the Soccer World Cup qualifying match between Wales and Austria, 35,000 there, no booze sold inside the ground. Or if it is, I think you can only drink out in the concourse. By comparison, the atmosphere was electric. 
it's been the big source of debate in Wales for the past week as well. So much so that the Welsh football team would not want to go back, even if they were playing Scotland in their next in their final World Cup qualifier. Imagine that Wales v Scotland, they would rather have it in 30, 35,000 capacity Cardiff sure. City than go back to the Principality Stadium because the atmosphere there can be so bad. So it's not to do with the size of the stadium either. It's it's to do with how tickets are distributed, how the day is um, run and overseen, and and in whether it's bars being opened during the match or beer being allowed brought back to a seat or not. There's lots of ways this can be addressed. And I really think the RFU have to address it, Richie, because otherwise we're going to see 10 or 11 empty thousand empty seats when the team is not doing so well. The Welsh issue was, is, was slightly different because they had disorder problems, essentially, uh, 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 like pronounced disorder problems at the Principality where there were pitch invasions and there were slight disturbances in the crowd and so on and so forth. So they really came down hard, I think, at the back end of last year to say, listen, this isn't going to happen again. We're not going to essentially allow what happened in November or in the Six Nations last year to happen this year because... Like it was way out of order, and and it was a safety issue when you have randomers coming on and and getting involved in the anthems and the team lineups. Um, so you can understand that. I just don't see there's an easy fix beyond just don't let them bring them back, bring bring points back to your seats. That seems like the the handiest one. And would it still allows people to go and get drink, but it might temper the fact that you need to go and get loaded and, and go as many times as you want, and you can maybe just sit down and watch the game, the purpose for which you're supposed to be there. Yes, exactly. And it means that all the people who wanted to sit down and watch the game can do so without getting beat 73 times, regardless of what age they are. So it would just mean less. And, and every time one person has to get up 73 times, it means that whole row has to get up 73 times and probably the row behind them if they're going to carry on watching the match. So I just think it's just only fair for people who have purchased good money to buy tickets that they'd be allowed to enjoy the match day experience by actually watching the match unfold. And I do think there's a lot more that can be done in the PA system before the game, mm. during the pre-match entertainment. I think all of that needs to be looked at as well as a better means of engaging the fans from beforehand. Do you understand? Absolutely. There's a lot more that can be done, Richie. I agree with you. It's not quite the same problem that it became evidently in the Principality Stadium where you had a pitch invader who probably affected the result of their game against South Africa. Things haven't got to that that impasse with the Aviva Stadium. But it's on that path. It's on that track. It's not an enjoyable experience for a lot of genuine rugby fans anymore and that's clearly the case on based on all the anecdotal evidence of this past week. And, and this issue has been going on for years. I did, I've, I'm late to it. Like, I'm privileged. I sit in the press box. There's no overflow. There's no aisles beside me. I'm not having people go past and forth me with like, trays of drink. But I'm hearing all these stories from people who no longer enjoy the experience. Um, and in Wales, I got a good sense of it because the press box is down by close to pitch side. Sure. It's low level. And you do see a lot of this traffic going back and forth. And you do have to jump up in your seat to see the game because the fans in front of you are doing so. So I have an idea what it's like in the Principality as well. Interestingly, in the Stade de France, which I know hasn't always been great over the years, where the report called them the bourgeoisie shits, pardon my French, but that's the exact phrase it used. Um, they, they could be pretty lifeless years gone past. They became quite disengaged from their French rugby team because it was so unsuccessful. And they're fully back on board now with this team, this new Fabien Galtier side, young side playing brilliant rugby, and of course, they're winning their first Grand Slam in 12 years, and they're doing it on a Saturday night at home against England. So, But their bars were closed for the Ireland game for, for COVID reasons. Hmm. And it didn't affect the atmosphere one iota. You know what I mean? The atmosphere was still absolutely electric, was brilliant. And talking to somebody who was at the France-England game, when they turned off the uh, plane of La Marseillaise before the kickoff and let the fans sing the rest of the, their national anthem, it said it was just, it was truly spine-tingling. He said, Jerry, with the best win in the world, it was... Um, like it was like a, 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 a sounding off to war, you know what I mean? It was like yeah. a, a 
Con. It was like we're here to protect our country kind of thing. It was in the best means possible because I know there's much bigger issues going on in the world than the behaviour of fans of football matches, which is not a terribly big problem at all. But he said it was just an electric atmosphere. And I just, I would love to see that come back to the Aviva Stadium. That's all I want to see. It is possible. I mean, it, it, we've seen it um, in different instances. The Belgium game, obviously, at the weekend in terms of soccer, like it is, it is achievable. And exactly. And the All Blacks game last November. Sure. And there's been England games over the years in the Aviva. Again, maybe because against the All Blacks and England are under perceived as that more, bit more, I don't know, underdogs. And the crowd are more engaged as a result. And maybe more rugby, genuine rugby fans make a better attempt to go, pick and choose their matches and go to those ones. Yeah. Rugby on off the ball, of course, with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Uh, the, the main news provincially, I guess, um, this week, Jerry, is the departures from Munster. Demi Delende is going uh, possibly to Japan or probably to Japan, it seems. And uh, Chris Cluta is going to follow um, Johan van Graan over to Bath. But in terms of Delende, when the signing was confirmed, when the, I guess the twin signing is himself and Orgy Snyman, there was great excitement about Munster. Now that he's departing, there's almost a sense of Damien Delende, we hardly knew ye. Um, and I don't think it's his fault necessarily. He just happened to sign at a very horrible time for absolutely everybody and that stat that you threw out there in your piece about him that in six games against Leinster this one coming up this week will be the first in front of fa- in front of fans that probably encapsulates Damien Delaney's tenure at Munster more than any other playing stat that you could throw forward that not many people have gotten the chance to see him and I, I guess that's affected how his spell his two year spell at Munster will be viewed yeah yeah I mean his timing was so unfortunate for him. Luckily, he could bring his wife over. But I'd say, other than that, it must have been—it must have been a very difficult time for all the Southern Hemisphere overseas-based players living abroad, playing abroad in Ireland, and, and that would be a common theme throughout the global um, rugby game. You think of Finlay Beelham seeing his parents for the first time in two and a half years mm. after he got that try um, against England, the bonus point try. First time he'd seen them in over two and a half years. How, how emotional that must have been, and how difficult it must have been for all these players away from home, communicating only through Zooms or, or FaceTime or whatever else. And yeah, it was, and that was a remarkable stuff. And I looked up myself, gee, but all those games against Leicester all behind closed doors. And that probably does add to the sense that we heard that they already got to know him. I think back to his first half performance against Toulouse and he absolutely cut them apart. He's much more than a crash ball merchant. Munster have used him actually quite well with some very clever um, strike moves as a decoy. Um, he's got good hands and he's actually a very elusive runner. He's not just... It's not just all about the power and strength. He's a very good tackler. Um, and, you know, that first half against Toulouse, he cut them apart. And for some reason, he hardly got the ball in the second half after I couldn't quite fathom. But imagine if that had been a packed Tolman Park as Damien Deyende was tearing the Toulouse midfield to shreds. And how differently his, you're right, the perception of his time here in Munster might have been. The good thing, at least for him, is he's determined to sign off on a positive note. He clearly did enjoy his time here. Because I asked him what, what would he miss most, and he said the players straight away, the players and also the coaches, and to a less extent the Guinness. <laughs> but you know, he was probably never going to stay more than two years. That was always the feeling, anyway, Richie, that he was going to go back to Japan. It was just a, a two-year he planned for a two-year stopover, and he chose Munster. And you know, and with with the best one in the world, hope the other problems are anybody else. But we would like to see a lot more of him now in the season running because they're coming to a very defining period in the season. And this is what he was signed for. These kind of games, Leinster, extra back-to-back, followed by Ulster. 
Yeah, you could have a big part to play. Before we let you go, Jerry, yeah. just want to ask you about um, Ireland's test, I guess, over in, in Toulouse this weekend, the second game of the Women's Six Nations. We've got the, the Women's Six Nations show on the way, so we're going to look at this in a little bit more depth. But it's a very, very tough ask for this Ireland team, especially off the back of that defeat against Wales at the RDS last Saturday, for them to go and get a result. This is... It's it's a it's a case of, of not I don't want to say not being humiliated but but showing again I guess in a different way the progress is being made with this side. Yeah, I think so. Um, maybe the expectations of beating Wales at home were a little bit unrealistic based on a deceptive forty five nil win a year ago. Welsh team now has seven Bristol based players. It's got twelve full time contracts. All the rest another fifteen part time contracts. This is a new Irish team. Only five of the team that started against Wales a year ago started again last Saturday. I thought there was lots to admire in the performance. I thought the dual playmaker um, thing worked with Stacey Flood at inside centre worked really well. Three absolutely cracking tries, but they were living off scraps and ultimately overpowered by a Welsh side that is way more bulk and size and physicality up front and bigger maul and scrum and dominate possession. And the tackle count was ridiculous by the Irish team. Neve Jones made, I think, 23 tackles, they had 93% tackle rate. And they're going to be required to do more of the same for sure in Toulouse because this French team is flying. I went to the game the last time they played in Donnybrook. I think uh, I think France won by about 30 points and it was really striking how much more pace they had and just more athleticism and just looked better conditioned. And, you know, they're full-time. They're they're really going for the title. It looks like a shootout between them and England. Um, there'll be a big crowd in Toulouse. It's a big, tough ask for this Irish team, no doubt. In so, to some degree, though, I think it's a free hit. And if they, like you say, if they just carry on showing the improvement they showed with, you know, a newish team, fairly newish team, and score a few tries and um, just come back with some confidence from the game that evidence of making further strides forward and then target the two home games against Italy and Scotland either side of going to England, it'll still have been a relatively satisfactory first championship for this new era. Yeah. Jerry, thanks so much. We'll let you get back to uh, clicking off those unread emails in your inbox at the moment. <laughs> Cheers, Richie. Always, Take care. always a pleasure, Jerry. And as I say, we've got full analysis of that game against France in Toulouse on the way next. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.